This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. As I begin to untangle my mind from the cult of William Branham and enter into Christianity, I quickly realized that my life was a living example for other Christians of what not to do. Unknowingly and molded together with minds and common beliefs, we became the very living thing of what Paul warned us not to be. Pride is a sin that's seldom mentioned in the cult of William Branham. And it is a sin that is very damaging to the people around you. And while living what the cult taught was a humble life, you'll quickly realize after deprogramming that we were living quite the opposite. The Christian life is far more difficult than the cult life. You have to actually show concern for others who oppose you. My pastor gave a sermon on Sunday on the type of love that God wants for His church as described in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Through the course of this sermon, he pointed out a striking observation that had previously gone unnoticed in my understanding of Scripture. All of these attributes that Paul mentions about love are not adjectives that are pointing back to the word love. These are actions that are pointing to our hearts. We have to put our love into action, or we truly do not have love in our hearts. If we are living, breathing examples of Christ, we will be patient towards others even when they disagree. We will be kind towards others, even when they are firmly against us. 
We will not show envy to another, which turns into covetousness. But then, <clears throat> this morning after reading this, it hit me. It does not boast. It is not proud. I was reading in 1 Timothy 2, how Paul tells us to pray for all people. And my mind drifted off to the Senate hearing yesterday about call to action in Syria for the slaughter of innocents. Paul does not tell us to stand up with picket signs of opposition and plaster our Facebook pages with hundreds of cartoons making President Obama look like a fool during this time of decision. And I thought about how wonderful our new church was, filled with people concerned enough to pray for those poor people in a far-off and distant land, even though they have no idea who they are or even what they believe. <clears throat> Paul says that we are to be in prayer, offering prayers of intercession for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. My mind went back to the cult life and my cult belief system that was based around the idea that our cult leader could peer into the future. Once he got the people to believe that he had this crystal ball in his mind, then everything that the man said could be twisted into some idea that became prophecy, even, when, <clears throat> even things that he never intended to be. Many of the fear tactics that he used, taking aim at the political unrest of current events during his ministry, have turned into prophecy for today. When Russia was the threat, <clears throat> Branham warned, watch Russia. And now we have programmed minds driven by fear during every future natural, national conflict looking for ways that Russia can become an enemy to bring death and destruction. Once Russia was no longer the threat, Branham preached against those ministers who were speaking out against Russia, literally preaching against himself. And with that, ministers of today are doing the same thing, but they only do it after they're trapped into this fear that Russia will bring impending doom. During the unrest, they're trapped in fear. But where is God in all of this? Where are the churches filled with people that are on their knees praying that Obama will make the right decision? Where are the churches who are filled with people mourning over the thousands, thousands of innocent children that have been slain? Then I thought about myself <clears throat> during these times when I too was just like them. I never once offered prayer for the leader. I never once thought one second of what it would be like to watch your small child inhale a breath, an innocent breath, that would rip his life from his body. I never offered prayer that our government would make decisions that would be pleasing before God. Instead, my mind would focus on the negative. I would think about things like Senator John McCain 
playing poker on his iPhone during the Senate hearing and offer my thoughts of condemnation towards his lack of concern. All the while, I myself was showing no concern. Once our minds were programmed to make little things seem much bigger than they were, and while doing so, the big things were moving constantly over our heads unnoticed. Our focus was on our little bride, not God's children. We looked at our small cult as the chosen few, rather than looking at a world filled with opportunity of potential converts to Christ. What if the entire nation fell on its knees and begged God for His hand of mercy? What if God chose to bring the entire nation of Syria to faith in Jesus Christ by the actions of our nation? I stand in repentance for my past. For a long time after leaving the cult, I looked at the superficial sins that plagued my mind during the cult, and I viewed them as very damaging, and they were. But it was damaging to myself. How much worse, the sin of pride, which is damaging to all of those around us. The first half of Timothy tells us that our prayers of intercession are not intended for uplifting ourselves. They're a reaching out loving hand towards others. And that hand reaching through prayer is far more powerful than our own outstretched hand. Paul says that God desires all people to be saved. Remember, Christ did not come to save the saved. He came to save the lost. 1 Timothy 2, 1-7 says this, First of all, then, I urge, I urge you, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, not a chosen few, all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. In other words, spread the gospel. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's Paul. But again, something that I never noticed before in Scripture. This that we read from Paul is a letter. It's a letter sent to Timothy. It was intended to read from start to finish, not simply taking a paragraph here and a paragraph there. Paul is speaking about calling on the name of the mediator between God and man, 
the man Jesus Christ, he's telling us to humble our pride and offer prayers on the behalf of others. And in the rest of this chapter, he continues that example, showing how we are supposed to eliminate all traces of pride from our lives. Devious minds have twisted these things. Branham followed the example of others and made some of these statements turn out to be sexual nature, which seems to be the case with many of these twisted scriptures. But listen to the words of Paul telling us about humility. And let's break it down sentence by sentence. He says this, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Notice the word then, connecting this to the first section of this chapter. It continues the thought about praying the prayer of intercession for others. Remember his words in Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. Paul is telling us to put our faith into action. Do not argue. Do not show anger. Show love with hands of praise and prayers of faith. He goes on to say, likewise, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Paul just spoke to the men about their pride. Now he speaks to the women. That word, likewise, joins the two sentences together. As I speak to the men, likewise I speak to the women. And notice, while the Pentecostal movement teaches that modesty is the covering of skin, Paul teaches that modesty is avoiding pride. He tells the women not to dress in gaudy, costly attire. He tells them not even to braid their hair, which was a status symbol during that time in which this letter was written. In other words, do not present yourself better than others according to the custom of the world around you. Lift others up above yourself. He continues that thought in the next sentence. He says, But, again continuing, But with what is proper for women who profess godliness. In other words, this is how you do it. With good works. Paul just told the women the very same thing that he told the men. Put your love into action. The rest of this chapter gives a summary of that same thought before proceeding into the qualifications for the pastors. But it maintains the same focus on humility. Many cult pastors can quote this passage by heart, but have paid very little attention to the words preceding. They teach exactly as Paul intended word for word, continuing the thought of humility as it applies towards women. 
They say, and read from Scripture, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she shall be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. But ask yourselves this. If, if the pastors can read this passage correctly, and as it was intended, why do they twist the passage before into a sexual argument rather than pride? And why do they ignore the beginning of this chapter? Cult members will tell you that they do not ignore. They will tell you that they read this, they agreed with this, and they heed the words of Paul. But like in the chapter of Corinthians about love, they only believe this by pointing to the words, not by putting them into action. Like myself in, during my captivity, these passages were taught to apply to ourselves, not an action of love towards others. We were focusing on what made us happy in our way of life, not what we could do to uplift others and humble ourselves. I beg all of you to put all of this aside for the time being. Forget what we've been taught and think of the world around you. Think of the mothers ripped from their homes as they make their exodus as refugees from a land where evil has started to reign. Think of the fathers, not knowing how to provide for their family as they leave their entire way of life behind. Let's offer prayers on their behalf. Let's not look at ourselves as the eye of the body while looking at other Christians as the dirty foot. Without the feet, the eye cannot be carried and put into action. And let's remember that the action should be love. Mm -hmm.